FBI Studios. This is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Rock. Ahoy, friends. Thank you for tuning in to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 31, Tiffany, Part 2. This week, we heard the 2006 follow-up interview with Tiffany, as well as the 2018 interview with Tiffany. We have a new mystery surrounding Vicky and Money. We got to hear Tiffany's recollection of the days following the murders, as well as her communications with Becky's friend group. I'm Zach. I'm joined by Bob and Janet. And after a quick break, we're going to hear their thoughts and your listener questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications, and that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From Something Else, The Marshall Project, and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You are up at four, baking pastries at five, and open at six. Hundredth cappuccino by eight, two hundredth customer by nine, and there's still 12 hours to go. That's why you need a business broadband that works as hard as you do. Introducing Sky Business. With 4G internet backup and our stay connected guarantee, that's better business. To find out more, visit skybusiness.com. Sky Fiber only, 30 second 4G activation or one-off credit. New customers, Pro Plus packs only. T's and C's apply. Okay, everybody, we are back. There is a lot to talk about today for episode 31, Tiffany Part 2. But before we do that, I hear there is some true crime bullshit, Josh Hallmark's fantastic podcast, some news that we need to share. Yeah, there is. Uh, it's not so much news. as uh, I probably should have told you what you were reminding me of. Yeah. Uh, but, but it was uh, Josh has a new season of true crime bullshit coming out. Yes. And he sent me over a, a promo clip to listen to. And I thought it was great. So just uh, you know, Josh is a good friend of ours, good friend of the show. So uh, at the end of this episode, after the credits and after any bloopers, if Kelly puts any bloopers in this week, there will be a uh, a trailer for the new season of True Crime Bullshit. Uh, sounds really good. I can't wait to listen to the next season. Uh, so uh, and hopefully you guys do, too. But if you have ever listened to Josh's show or even if you haven't, stay tuned through the credits and listen to that promo uh, and you're going to want to listen to it when you hear it. No, I'm excited for it. I'm a big fan. Yeah. I am too. too. I've listened to every season twice because there's so every- much information. Y- yeah. And I I'm teacher's pet. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> did I get the highest grade of this conversation? You did. You did. I'm sure Great. Josh, I, Josh, I'm sure is listening to this and you're, you're his favorite. Now. Hi, Josh. Uh, okay, great. So let's get into our episode this week, Tiffany Part 2. Two more interviews from Tiffany, uh, one not too long after the first one we sort of listened to that you broke Mm -hmm. down for us, uh, and then one that happened in 2018. So a lot of different stuff happening across those three episodes. Right. Did you guys, what were your guys' takeaways? The, The big one, and I know that there's some listener questions about it, but the big one that I took away was the possibility of this mystery bank account. Right. I think that mm-hmm. was huge for me to to know that they think this is out there. I and by the way, I don't I've never I've seen no indication that that's true. It just it was very weird to to me when I heard that. It's like Ron is telling her 
that there's this very particular amount that's in another right. account at the same time when they're like can't afford to pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't, I don't know what Definitely that was about. Definitely questions about that. Yeah. Well, we'll try to get into it. I mean, I, I guess the spoiler alert is that when we get down to those questions, the answers probably will be we don't know yet. But um, that was definitely that's definitely a big one. The other one that I just wanted to ask um, to get out of the way is because this is probably a really simple answer and I'm stuck on something so small. But didn't we hear that Ron like people talk in, in uh, past episodes in past interviews, people talked about Ron building the house with his own two hands. Right. Wasn't there right. sort of this that's Ron's house. He built it with his two hands. Um, so what is the mortgage for? Like, I know that's probably really I've never built my own house, so mm-hmm. I don't know what you're paying mortgage on. If you are supplying all of the materials and you are building the house, are you paying mortgage for the land? Like, where's what's the mortgage? Well, for? and the materials. Sorry, I if mean, that's a dumb question. No, it's 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 not. But um, but yeah, I mean, so you're by building it yourself, you're saving labor costs for the house. But that's not the largest part of what it costs to build a house. The most expensive part is all of the materials to build that. So you're buying okay. the land, and I'm sure you know he, he could have built it with his own two hands and still had a contractor come dig and pour the foundation and maybe okay. some do roof. But but yeah, the so the loan exa- is yeah. Well, okay. there would also have to be. I mean, typically a buyout process. Through a divorce as well. Yeah. So she would owe Ron a portion of money if she wants to keep that house. Well, it depends. I'm very, uh, I'm quite an expert on divorces. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, well, I understand, well, whatever you're going to say, but I do know this is a thing that happens. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a settlement process that that goes along, right? So typically um, there's kind of a balance sheet. So say. It could be that the that they owe as much on the house as it's worth, and it's like, well, you keep the house and you keep the debt for the house, or it could be there's quite a bit of equity in the house, so you keep the house and the debt. But since you got this equity, that means you're going to get less of my pension, so that I don't have right. to you know buy it out or you know. Th- so there's 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 a juggling of of assets and liabilities when when a divorce like that happens. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a buyout. Um, but yeah, so you could still, I mean, the mortgage would be, so say for example, if, if I was going to build a house myself, say a house that would cost here, you know, around where we live might cost $200,000 to buy a new home. If I were to be my own general contractor, I could probably build that house for, instead of 200,000, I could probably build it for 150,000, but there's still a big chunk of money there. Even if I was the one swinging the hammer. Okay. Even if I was the one swinging the hammer. I just had to let that sit there for a second. Um, <laughs> big tough guy. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, do, Zach, do you have anything else you want to talk about before we get into some questions? You know, honestly, I'm sure I kind of saw some listener questions, so I'm sure they're all answered or they're all going to be there. So I'd rather okay. let the listeners talk. Well, one thing that I just want to touch on, just because I want to hear your guys' reaction to it. Um, and I know there's a ton of questions about uh, what Tiffany said about her call with Robert. Mm-hmm. But the thing that jumped out to me when I was listening to it is she said that Javier yes. called Becky from a payphone mm-hmm. that night of the murder. Yes. Yeah, that was and my first a, question. I loaded up. Mm-hmm. Yep, I okay. have it written down as well, but I knew that that was a question. <laughs> yeah, if that's the first one you got written up, then we'll just it get is. right into that question. Ask away. Okay, great. Well, this comes from Kristen, but not the only person to notice it and bring it up. Uh, is this the first time we heard that Javi said he stopped at a payphone to check on Becky because he was worried? That yeah. was a big, like, what? And well, also, change- why, why are we hearing it from this source as the first time we're hearing it? It was just very strange. 
the, the tricky part is that we don't know if it's true. And right. that, and I'm not saying that like in any way at all, not even suggesting that like Tiffany was lying about it. Right. Um, but could be that she was remembering it, misremembering it. The, the hardest part about the whole thing is again, the home record, the home phone records are, are very incomplete because we definitely do not see a call like on in the home, the home phone records that we have that the police got, there is no incoming call from any number that night that could have been a pay phone. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't pull hmm. Tiffany's record, at least not what I have. They don't. They didn't pull Tiffany's records, but that's actually related to stuff from two weeks ago. It doesn't have to do with the payphone, but obviously they didn't pull the payphone records either. So that's all we have is Tiffany saying Javier. Now, if that's true, it certainly ch- it, it begs the question: Why didn't Javier tell police that he made that call from the payphone? You know, right? But he told her, and then also it kind of changes our timeline, right? It, it, it changes. You know where he was at. I, presumably in that area, there would be the payphone, maybe right there by the fire station that's close to. Well, I don't know because uh, didn't she say outside Hemet? Yeah, and and that's why I think she might be confused because he was calling her from. Well, maybe there may be maybe there's not cell coverage in Hemet because the towers he was hitting were in Anza and Aguanga, mm-hmm. um, or Guanga. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Um, but if you kind of look on the map, as 74 heads past Pinion Pines, it kind of forks. And it goes, I think it's north, it goes up to Hemet. Um, and to the west, it goes to um, Anza and then Aguanga hmm. uh, in that direction. So so maybe there are cell towers there, but there isn't a cell tower in Hemet. I don't know. So so just to interject for a second, one of the listeners in the, the live is asking, how do we know that the records are truly incomplete for the home? And I know we've answered this before, but if you want to touch on that really quick. Oh, because, I mean, we absolutely know that because there are calls on other people's records so for example robert we see a call on robert you know a couple calls on robert's cell phone records that show that he received a call from the friedley's landline but when we look at the friedley's landline record those calls aren't there they don't exist so that that so we know 100% that it's incomplete we just don't know how incomplete which is maddening right exactly it, you know and the other thing that I don't think that if the payphone thing is accurate, I don't think it's that weird knowing the timeline, knowing that there's no cell phone service. I mean, I definitely use the payphone in this time, this era, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you're out and about, you're trying to do things. So payphones weren't what they are today where you can't even find them. Right. But it's the whole idea that he did not bring it up. That's what's concerning. Well, and then it just, like I, said, I, I don't know that it makes a huge difference, but it's just in the timeline of the calls and then her saying, well, don't come. Uh, because it'll be awkward for Robert or, you know, whatever that situation was. And then, like, when in there did he then stop and make a payphone call? I don't Yeah. I, again, it's, it's it's hard to say, like, if that's true, it means this. Right. But it's it's something that's very intriguing, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So just very quickly touching on this, Sarah wanted to know um, if we know how long after the murders it was until Vicky's body was positively identified since that's something that that whole first call with Tiffany, one of the things that really stuck with me and I'm sure it stuck with a lot of people was just how difficult it is when you, you know, when you lose someone, even of natural causes, even when it's expected, sometimes there's just a mountain of stuff you have to take care of. I've been through that um, and I know how hard it is. And knowing that she was de- grappling with all of that and couldn't get a death certificate and all of that was just dragging out is 
when she said, I think I listened to her at that, that, you know, episode a couple of times and she said something like, it's not too fun to have to do that. You know, she sort of undersold right. it. And I, my heart just broke for her. I thought, I can't believe this, you know, young woman is having to deal with all of this and just, you know, to have to be told, like, we just don't know. Like, it could take months. So do we know how long it, it did actually take for that, that process to be I that part remember. of it to be complete so she could start dealing with a mountain of stuff? I don't remember the date that they were identified off the top of my head, but it was a while because mm-hmm. um, they ha- I, th- I think I remember correctly, they had an easier time with with Vicky because they had the sisters all right there giving our daughters there giving DNA samples. But I know there was like they were tracking down John's. They talked to his son, Robbie, and then like his sister that they were getting. It was all done through DNA and it, it, yeah. it took a while. Um and along those lines, I I saw I, I've seen a lot of comments, and I know people have different thoughts on it. But I, you know, I'll let you get through the. I'm, I'm sure there's questions about. It. I wouldn't talk about like Tiffany canceling the phone, uh, the phones. Do you have that on your on your list? Um, kind of. There there was really only one question about that, but I I didn't. I think it was after I had prepped everything. I just happened to see it in okay. passing this morning, so I don't know that I have something specific about when she well, canceled I'll, them. Yeah, I'll just, what I'll that just, meant and all that. Yeah, I was because and maybe that's what I saw, but I saw some posts of people saying like, you know, why would she cancel the phones? Why would? She? And I I don't know what you guys think, but I didn't find that. Odd. So like, oh, it's not odd at all. I'm Tiffany me. in my family, right? I'm I'm the one that if something happened to my parents, you know, I have I have two brothers. One hundred percent, I'm the one that's going to have to take care of everything, and I'm the type of personality that would start going through. Yes. List and checking things off like yes, like we would because you hear, you know, he. I think it's it's a Claire she's talking to and she says, well, I shut the phones off. And he said, well, why would you do that? And she said, why wouldn't I do that? Yes. And like for, and I know there were some people that were like, well, you know, they, they were kind of like you like, why would you do that when there's an, obviously an investigation going on? But when I like when I heard it, I heard the exact I was like, that's exactly what I would have. I would be like, OK, right. We've got stuff that we have to we have to deal with as a state. We have things that have to take care of. Mm-hmm. We don't need to continue paying for phones when we don't have the phones anymore. And and the people that own the phones are deceased. So let's cancel yeah. that. We can shut that off. And she made it pretty clear that she's tried to get a hold of somebody to see. You know, right. It's, yeah. She she said, I tried to call the lead detective. He hasn't called me back. Right. Um, to step back. Unfortunately, for a Leclerc was a lead detective, so I don't know if that means that she was ever trying to call him, or she thought Bumpetsera was, or what. But June six, two thousand seven, is when the, when there was a firm confirmation. Not till June of the. Oh God, year. that's a yeah, really. It long took a long time. time. Oh, and like I said, so and, and Tiffany was Tiffany was the one that had to take care of paying. You know, you heard she's the one that's taking care of paying their bills, and yeah. and and because there's no death certificate, that becomes very problematic. And so if she can check a thing off the list, I'm sure that she did. So yeah. um, it's it's too bad because what we lost and the, the questions that I was wondering if people were asking is because people are like, well, don't they have the records? Yeah, they are. They can still get the call logs and um, the text message logs. But by canceling the service, what we lost was access to the voicemails and access to the actual texts. As far as what the, and, and apparently you get once the, the account is disabled, mm. that information is gone. So it, had she not canceled them, they could have looked at the actual text messages and seen what they said. 
right. and they could have they could have remotely been able to listen and retrieve the voicemails that were right. left on that night to see what was going on. But because she canceled it, that information was gone. On that same token, like if anybody is to be at fault there, it's the like that's the first that day one day one. Let's look at we need to find out text messages, phone, all that stuff. And and who is the point? Who is in charge of all of this in the family? Because that person we need to be in a ton of contact with, not weeks and weeks later. We and find out that she's been trying to reach them and they're not getting back no one to would her. Call her. They're back. not getting back to her of all people. They're not getting back to her. It's shocking. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't I, I, I just I just want to make clear on record. Like, I know it's frustrating and it bothers me, too, but I don't in any way. No. Fault Tiffany for shutting that shutting those lines off, because like I said, I would do the exact same thing. I would. It, it, you, you're grieving. You're going through all that. But at some point, again, like I said, that's me and my family. Someone's going to have to step up and start taking care of business. And if that person is you, like I'm, I'm just that I'm the same way. I would start checking things off the list. So this is done. I don't have to deal with this anymore. Um, Yeah. I'm an only child. I just went through this. So um, yeah, yeah, that's exactly what we do. And by the way, it's a thing that makes you feel like you have some control in the world of anything. So it's a thing that sort of gives you a sense of like, I'm doing something like I'm Moving mm-hmm. forward in some way because it feel, all feels so daunting and impossible. So, no, I feel I feel really terrible for her that that all of this happened. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of conversation about you know the sort of credibility I'll say uh, of of the things that were being said in some of the some of the interviews in particular. More emphasis by you know listeners has been placed on that final call, feeling like it's very different tonally from those first right. two calls. Feeling like was, you know, some speculation, like, could she have been coached? Um, Where did, you know, where did a bunch of that stuff come from? And, you know, a lot of people uh, wondering, like, you know, Brian and Jennifer and Kristen, a bunch of other folks um, really questioning, like, where information is coming from, especially the information that seems to be pointing towards Robert. And and could it have come from Javier? Well, I think the first thing that I that I would want to think about is the fact that we heard them quickly, quickly together. You have to realize there's a lot of time that is spread out between these two interviews. So mm-hmm. she has a lot of inf- new information that's in her head by the time 2018 comes around. Yeah, and and I I don't I don't think that she was coached. I didn't get that. For me, just just kind of analyzing the interview, the 2018 interview, that's not the impression I got. I definitely got the impression that what happened is what is expected to happen is your memory. And your outlook on just about everything is shaped by what's happened over that time. So uh, I mentioned this before, but like we see, we saw this like with Adnan Syed when, when the police came to the school and started telling people that Adnan's our guy and we know it's him and we're just trying to get this information. Suddenly everybody looked at everything that he ever did in a new light. Well, he did this and he did that and, and things that they thought were very innocuous before, but now, oh, he's the guy. Right. Uh, and and so I definitely I mean, Javier, Javier has controlled this narrative from the very beginning to the very end. Everybody, we like even when we did the interview with uh, Brandon, who's from Newhall, who's from far away from not even from the valley. And he's saying all this stuff. And it's like, wait, how do you know all that? Oh, Javier told me like he controls the narrative always. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that she's got information from Javier. I think she's seen that. As far as the the phone call, and this is one of those those times where the where where the where the usual crowd will say that I'm just being biased, but like 
the Robert being short thing. So the, 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 the second interview we heard, the one from October 25th, was after that. She didn't bring anything up about Robert. She doesn't have any suspicion about Robert. Also, she mentions that Brandon Kugler Harrison also talked to him, had the same experience. We heard Brandon's interview who mentioned that phone call. He didn't say anything about it being like that. Like, and and I, and again, I don't think that she's like intentionally doing anything. I think it was maybe a short, weird, awkward, awkward phone conversation. And maybe that that's, that's the case. But years later when it's like, oh, the police are now telling me he's the one that killed your sister. Now I'm looking back at that conversation and now it sounds really, really bad. Right. Right. Which is what any of us would do i mean i think um mm-hmm. that's that seems like the most human thing to to do um so let's talk about ron for a second um people definitely curious when we're going to be hearing from him wondering you know when when we're going to get into the ron stuff just because he's been coming up so much as we have dived into the family through tiffany um so just some eagerness there to learn more about him and uh and what the investigation into him was like um i don't know where we're, you know i just wanted to kind of put that out there to acknowledge i, I, I think this week i think okay. so I've, I've been kind of wrestling you asked me last night like what you know, is there a good closer because um what's the episode going to be about and i've been doing a bunch of research and a bunch of different angles this week and i'm trying to i'm struggling with which direction to go and i think so we have interviews with tanya and drew um that i want to make sure are heard but particularly the one with drew is it's like a good interview that sounds good, but it doesn't really add a whole lot of value there as far as to the investigation. Um, but a lot of Ron has also been brought up. So I was looking at a lot of stuff from Ron and I've got a, an interview with Ron from 2018. That's super interesting. That does, does Mm. conflict and confirm some different things. Um, Mm. so I think that that's, I think what I'm going to do is make this week's episode about Ron. Um, so we can answer those questions just as you brought up. And then I'll probably put Tanya and Drew's interviews out as bonuses, which I may do later today or tomorrow, uh, which will be yesterday for those. If you're listening to this on Friday, because uh, I definitely want I want the family's voices to be heard. Um, but I also don't want to put out a 40 minute episode where it's like, well, you heard them, but it didn't. It, it's not helping us move things forward. So I, I think that's the route I'm going to go or maybe a combination of Tanya and Ron on Sunday and um, Drew as a bonus on Thursday, but okay. so figuring that all. But yeah, we're okay, Ron. Ron is on the list for very soon, so we can just start checking these things off. Great. And Montana in the in the chat, I just want to acknowledge. I I I, I, I hear what you're saying. You're sort of saying, you know, the difference between Javi being a source of information and a primary source of information um, versus like actively controlling the narrative. Like that implies that he has a direction that he. That there that, that there may have been more intent than originally there was. It's it's you know I I, I hear that. Well, I want to be clear. I'm not saying Javi has any involvement in this crime, but in my opinion, he definitely did have intent and in control. I mean, we get all the way. We watch how his story changes all the way up to trial, where he is mm-hmm. very much projecting the neighborhood the the narrative that Robert and Christian did this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, that's just my opinion about it. But it's, but it, to me, it is not as innocuous as just he was the, ever, the source everybody was coming to. Um, but he was very much, you know, his, with the police, with the friend group, with Becky's friends that he didn't even know, with the sisters, with everybody. He's sharing all this stuff and is definitely pushed this near, you know, him saying, 
oh, you know, when when Robert tells the police, like, yeah, well, Javier told me that she was in a wheelbarrow. And then Javi then says, oh, no, I didn't tell him that. I didn't even know that. You know, to me, yeah, he's, in my opinion, he, and that, that's not, I'm saying, that, I'm not saying he's indica- that's indicating he's guilty, but I feel, I, I'll, I'll just say this. I didn't misspeak. I chose those words intentionally okay. that I believe that he is okay. controlling the narrative, in my opinion. Understood. Understood. Um, Sarah wants to know, can you confirm Ron was the biological father of Drew, Tanya, and Becky? Yes. Okay. Jennifer and Kristen and Kim and Jason do want to talk more. Many other people do want to talk more about this discrepancy in the money that we hear about from Tiffany versus what we've heard in past episodes about what the amounts were. I'm going to read Jennifer G's just um, to kind of help sum up. But uh, Jennifer says the money doesn't add up from what we heard in very early episodes. The 10K that John received and gave to his ex-wife is consistent with maybe the sort of 12K that we were talking about and hearing that Tiffany's mom said, you know, mm-hmm. that that Vicky said she was planning on doing that. Uh, it's consistent, but the amounts Vicky received aren't. Didn't we initially hear something about $175,000? Now there's a $50,000 amount in Vicky's account. How does this affect the theory of Vicky being murdered to avoid paying out the rest of the retirement settlement? How are you feeling about those numbers in terms of like what we're hearing from Tiffany? So just to kind of backtrack, we heard from John's ex-wife that in October of the previous year that John had got that, – that that Vicky had got $10,000 from Ron and that they used that to pay the debt uh, that John owed to his ex-wife. And then she said there was another $175,000 coming. So that's where, or no, I don't know if she said the amount. I think she said there's another large amount coming. So we heard heard that from John's ex-wife. That payment, I know Tiffany thought it was 12 or whatever, but that's in the bank records. We see in the bank records, they check for $10,000 from Ron, and then they check out for $10,000. Like that 100% was $10,000. It came in, went out from Ron to Cindy, uh, the ex-wife. Then we heard from so, – so now we have this lingering – John's ex says that they have another another large sum of money coming from Ron. Then we hear from John's boss, Ted Rutherford, who says – uh, that John was telling everyone that they had $175,000 coming. And another coworker said the same thing, that he was saying, yeah, he was saying there was 175000 that they had coming. They didn't know what it was coming from. They thought maybe an inheritance. So that's where we got the 175000 from. It was like it seemed to corroborate what Cindy said, that they had more money coming. At the same time, uh, you have John telling people that they have one hundred seventy five grand coming. Those seem to mesh together. Now – we hear that Ron told Tiffany that there's this fifty some thousand dollars uh, amount that he'd already given Vicky, but it's in some other bank account. I don't. And the it's it, the problem is we're dealing with a game of telephone. So if what Tiffany said is a hundred percent accurate, it seems like I did. Is Ron lying? I've never seen any indication. We've never seen that there was this extra account anywhere. It, hmm. and, it, and I don't think it came up in trial about there being another account anywhere. I don't think it's true. Um, so, but did Tiffany misunderstand her dad or misremember or not her dad? Uh, Ron. Ron is not her dad. Um, did she misunderstand him? Did she misremember what he had said? Or did he actually say that? We don't know the answer to that, but it doesn't seem that. Am- and it's weird. Like, 
She got the money and it's in an account, but she didn't do paperwork, so she doesn't have access to it. And it's just like I don't even know what that means. Right. Like I, I don't know how what scenario that would equal that. And and if somebody else does, let me either in the chat or Janet or Zach, let me know. But I don't. I can't imagine in my mind a scenario where that happens, where he paid the money it, because we see. What it looks like when he paid the money, he paid the ten thousand, and it just right. he, it was just a check that went right into her account. Right. Yeah, that whole part was very uh, confusing to me too, and it was very interesting to hear her perception that it wouldn't have even been that much money, but because she left it untouched, it accrued a ton of interest, making it far more valuable. And I think that piqued the interest of other folks too, other listeners who were like, "Wow, that." Without necessarily being able to put too fine a point on what that means, the Mm -hmm. idea that you think you're giving your ex-wife this smaller amount and you think you've handed it over to her, but it turns out that she didn't take it and it accrued all this interest and now you're giving her way more money than you thought you were going to be giving her. Is that a change in like circumstance almost that could prompt, you know, uh, and uh, as you talk about what changed, what changed in this situation? I don't know. Like, it's one of the things that the police should have dug deep into because, yeah, th- so in that circumstance, it means that, that he, when they got divorced, paid the money right then and it went into a, an account for her that she had to put it. But then over the years, it accumulated uh, interest to get to this larger amount and she's never tapped into it. I suppose that, you know, if it's in some kind of trust or something like that, that's that's possible. It would certainly be interesting to find out, like, if she then dies, then it doesn't go back to him. Um, but again, I, what I keep coming back to is we have an example of what it looks like when Ron pays her s- some of his settlement. It's a check from Ron yeah. to her that went into her bank account. Yeah, but if it were going to be, I'll just play the devil's advocate on that. If it were going, if you knew that that was just sort of a, I don't know why that would be the preliminary payment that you would just go, yeah, 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 I'm going to pay you. I mean, again, this is total speculation on my part. Like, yeah. let me just, let me, why don't you quiet down? Here's 10,000. Like, this is evidence that it, the rest is going to come to you or what have you. I could see a scenario in which you say, well, I'm not going to write a check for $50,000. Like, we'll open an account for that. You know, here's $10,000. I'm going to write you a check. But in the meantime, this that's doesn't, you know, we'll set up an actual account so I can just transfer the money over so it's yeah. not a check or something. I could see it, that that circumstance. And, and the way I understood what she was saying was that that part happened years before, right? Because it accumulated all this interest. Yeah. So like I I, I don't I don't know. I, I don't I don't know. And it again, this is something like it's a big deal. I think they looked at the fact that Ron lives eleven hours away and is alibied being at his house during that time. So they're like, eh, well, let's just, there's no reason to look any further into this. Yeah. And I don't, you know, there are other scenarios that could be, that could be relevant. That means like track it down, figure it out. Don't have blinders on. We need to, and, and I don't know that we're ever going to get the answers to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to do a much more deep dive than I've done so far into the finances um, from the settlement and stuff like that. But you know, if that's the, if that was the case, then that money does it exist? Does it go to her next of kin? Did it go back to Ron? I don't know. Right. Okay, so yeah, there are a lot of questions about sort of what did happen to that money, what we find out about it, whether Ron was allowed to keep it, all that kind of stuff. I'm going to just sort of make a blanket statement that we've just established that we just don't know enough yet as we are as you continue to research the case, and yeah. I'm sure we'll be looking more deeply into that. 
in just a moment. And Megan, I know you had said, you know, it would be great to have a quick and straightforward breakdown of the financial situation. I think it's clear we've established we just don't have that yet. Um, but it's something we would all benefit from. And same with Kate, you know, asking about like, how how would he know what her account was and how would he access it? And, and how, how could he find out what remained? All of that stuff is sort of still up in the air. Yeah, that's um, another good, good point to that is if that's the case, if it's Ron paid $20,000, for example, right? into an account 15 years ago and it accumulated all this interest. Once he put in an account for her, he wouldn't like, how did, how would he have access to know how much is in that account? Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. And I, I don't, I don't think there's questions about this, but why we're on the topic of money. I, do you have, do you have anything about John's money and work in your questions? Yes, I do. Okay. Then we'll let you keep going. Okay. Um, I'm just sort of living in Ron land right now. Uh, okay. Uh, and then and then Ron as a possible source of information. That's another thing that's been coming up. Um, for example, Sarah says, you know, did Tiffany or any of the other sisters still have connections in Pinion Pines who could have been feeding them information about the crime scene? Uh, could Ron have been the sister's source of information? And Kate said, like, how did do we know how Ron found out about the, the murders the night they happened? Uh, we're going to f- find all that out this week. By okay. the way, hey, there, there's your great last questions. <laughs> if I had Sorry. only I had known. Yesterday well, I mean, I have all go. this. Yeah, I had all this Ron stuff up top. But this is convincing like, me more. Yeah. The people are asking these questions. Oh, yeah, and I think sure. it's, ti- it's time to, to hear great. from Ron. Okay, great. Um, okay, getting into some Robert stuff. Uh, Megan says, and I, I, we talked about this early in the podcast, and I, I, it definitely bears repeating for sure. I'm so glad you said this, Megan. Does it seem odd that they are trying to use Robert's knowledge of the wheelbarrow as guilty knowledge when several neighbors had witnessed the wheelbarrow and they probably don't know everyone the neighbors told about that? We often hear about holdback evidence in crimes, but it seems like this shouldn't qualify, given the fact that the crime scene was witnessed by neighbors. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous that they use it. And, you know, I think that we've proven pretty effectively that Robert could have. He says he got the information from Javier. Um, they say, well, Javier didn't even know. Nobody knew, but yeah, we Randy Paulson, uh, Tim Summerlee, um, you know, other neighbors that were up at the crime scene, several of the neighbors all said they knew that the, uh, Jim Ellis, I think, um, all knew there was a body in a wheelbarrow. Javier was up there and we have what three or four of Javier's friends that all say Javier told them the body was in the wheelbarrow in those first couple of days. So yeah, it's not even hold back evidence at all because it was the information was out there it was out there to everyone plus you have javier's dad that was out there and investigating things ron had inside information which you're going to hear on on sunday was kind of go back to your last question um about the thing you know you know the call he got was from his buddy jeff bumpincero um and he was and he knew everything that was going on right from the right from the beginning so yeah i don't think it was and and again you know one of the things that convinced me early on that this is a very likely potential wrongful conviction was, was that little clip off mic of Robert during his first interview where the, the officer tells him that, you know, we don't want rumors going around, blah, 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 blah. Like people are saying her body's in a wheelbarrow and this and that. And we hear Robert saying, wait, so was there not, was her body? I don't remember the exact words, but it was something to the extent of wait was, so was she not in a wheelbarrow? Like to me, like just, just as I said with, um, uh, it wasn't great. It was Josh Aaron. I think that, you know, we're here like to me, that was, conv- it was, it was convincing. Like that was genuine surprise and, and was really wanting information, which, which to me indicated that he didn't know what was going on. But uh, in yeah, regards the, to the question, yeah, yeah I don't yeah. think that that 
That's just a, shouldn't be a gotcha. To me, that shouldn't yeah. be a gotcha. Um, no. And uh, Teresa, I see your point in the in the chat. No, I'm not even I'm not saying that you would have to know the neighbors to know that. I'm just saying, like, w- once a handful of people know. And by the way, all due respect to the police, but the sheriff's department. But like, I have no faith that they would think to tell the neighbors. It's very important that you not tell anyone about this. Right. This is going to be key information that only the killer and all of you would know. So please don't tell your daughter who goes to the same high school. Like, I'm just, it's just, it's like a contamination effect. I have no idea whether that is where he heard it or anything like that. I just think once you have a contamination like that, you, it's just not fair to hold that anybody to account. You know what I mean? Right. Whether it's Robert or someone else. Anyway. Well, yeah, the point is that they're they're making it out as though it was a big secret and no one knew, but Robert knew, and right. therefore he had guilty knowledge. When in fact, lots of people knew, right? A- including, you know, from what we heard from literally everyone, Javier also knew who's who. Robert says told him, right? Um, Karen says, you know, speaking of this, the the part the part of the conversation. Excuse me, Karen says the part of the conversation uh, about Robert and the th- potential threats to kill Becky. Um, Karen just points out, like, well, I don't think Javi ever told the police anything like that, did he? He never said anything about Robert threatening no. Becky directly to the police. No. And we never hear anything like that until, you know, he's already been arrested. Right. Uh, one of the things that came up also, Kate pointed out, and I think there's been some chat about it off the uh, follow-up, actual follow-up post, but in Facebook in general in the group, um, is this question about when Tiffany did speak to Robert and that perhaps there's been some discovery that maybe they talked on the 21st and not the 18th. Um, I saw some uh, chat here in the live about why would Robert pretend not to know about uh, Becky dying? And, you know, if that's the case, uh, doesn't that look strange or suspicious? Um, Again, that sort of speaks to a 2018 interview. Um, So I don't know. Yeah, it's the same thing we we talked about. As I mentioned earlier, Tiffany had all that information when she had her October 25th interview. The The phone records do indicate the call from Robert to Tiffany or for Tiffany to Robert occurred on the 21st. So it was the day after her first. So in her first interview, she wouldn't have known any of that as far as like what Robert's reaction was on the phone because it was the next day when she talked to Robert, according to the phone records. Um, but then, you know, a month later when she talked to police, she she had already had that conversation and had that information and it wasn't important enough to bring up. It wasn't, you know, it didn't stand right. out enough. And, it, and that's exactly what I was saying kind of at the top of the show that, you know, but then, you know, if you go 12 years later, now Robert's been arrested for the second time and is just a couple months away from standing trial. Now all this new information comes out about stuff that had happened way back then that was never mentioned to the police for 12 years until that right. point. So that's another. Yeah. That's also a case of like, I don't know what the utility would be in Robert pretending not, that he didn't know when everyone knew he knew. Like, I don't know what that yeah. would solve for him as a killer. I don't yeah. know what that takes care of for him. It's uh would be a, it would be a huge mistake that I don't see has an upside. Yeah. And and the only thing we have that we can like confirm or, den- or deny is that she said that Brian Coogler Harrison talked to him same day and had this, uh, you know, he was he it was the exact same same way with him and we see where where Brandon talked about that conversation and it's not at all the same as what Tiffany's saying. Yeah. Um okay, let's get into a couple John things. Um 
yeah, definitely some question around credit card debt. You know, the people that are co- potentially calling that Tiffany suspects are credit card folks. Um, the conversation with the employer about the sixty to seventy thousand dollars and being paid under the table to avoid having to make payouts. Um, I think there's just a general. Like Sarah and Allison kind of brought up those factors. I saw something about that in the live chat as well. Um, just wondering how you're feeling about John and the money. And I know you wanted to talk about it anyway. Yeah. Well, the thing that I was going to talk about is, and I will quickly address somebody that said in the in the YouTube chat that, um, in regards to you saying what would the utility be, and Robert saying that he didn't know about the death, said it would be to distance himself. But like, I don't. But see everyone how knew he had talked. He'd already talked to the police. Yeah, and he'd already talked to the police and had, told like, them about it. And, like, anyway. who was he trying to convince that he didn't know? Yeah. Um, but as far as like John is, there's a lot of questions. Like people said they don't think that he actually made sixty to seventy thousand with his employer, uh, and then um, question about like why he would work. You know, some people had said, well, yeah, but he's uh, independent contractor, so just because he got paid that sixty to seventy thousand, you know, he had other expenses and stuff from it. You got to understand. So most people know this. I don't think everybody does, but before I was a fireman, I was a contractor and I continued my business as a contractor through years of being a fireman. And I I had contracts exactly like this. And those property management contracts are great because you don't have to buy materials. It's literally, they, they supply everything and they're just paying you an hourly rate for your labor, but you're not an employee. So they just pay you, um, straight cash. Now, the, the downside of being an independent contractor, Tiffany used the term getting paid under the table. And I had a conversation with a couple of people on the, the Facebook page about that. Like that's, he wasn't being paid under the table. Under the table means I'm going to have Zach come over and do some work for me. And I'm just going to give you cash and not tell anybody that I did it. Um, whereas Ted Rutherford, they paid him a, a check as a contractor and then gave him a 1099 afterwards. Um, so, so he got so there are not a lot of expenses and stuff added on top of that when you have a property management contract like that. First of all, now the tax burden is is much higher when you you pay an extra seven percent of taxes when you're an independent contractor. But that's the thing is John wasn't paying taxes. That's why he had all the tax liens. That's why he wasn't using bank. That's why he would take his check and cash it. That's why the bank is in Vicky's name and not his name. The house is in Vicky's name and not his name because. Essentially, I think people have an image of like what the IRS does as far as in enforcement because they think that, well, he's not paying his taxes. They're going to get him. They don't really, especially somebody, you know, John Small Potatoes to the IRS. So what they would do is because a 1099 was filed and 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 Rutherford's company was able to pull, you know, the, the lady in his office was able to produce, pull the file out and show the 1099. That means now the IRS knows that he was given enough, you know, that he was paid this much money and he owes these taxes. But I don't, but my guess is John never filed a tax return because if he filed, you know, if he filed a tax return, he needed to pay, pay those taxes. So what he would do is take the check and go, cause you know, people had said too that, they, well, you said he doesn't, he doesn't have a bank, but they said his boss said that he got an account at bank of America because the other banks wanted to hold the checks. Well, th- what that means is because Bank of America is the company, is the bank that issued the checks, that if he takes and if he cashes them there, they can verify immediately that the funds are available and they'll release the cash to him av- immediately. As opposed to if I take that that check to a different bank, especially back then when you didn't have the computer systems you have now, they would say, okay, well, 
we're going to hang on. We're not going to give you the money for this until it clears the other bank. So we know that the, that the, the money's actually there. So like, yeah, he said, he, I don't know if he even set up an account, but he started banking at bank of America, which just means that he went there to cash the checks and by cashing them for the IRS. So the first thing they'll try to do is, is they will come after you. They'll, they'll send you letters. They'll want to garnish your wages. Well, he doesn't have wages because he's a contractor, so they can't garnish wages. He's not employed by anyone. So then they will put a lien on any real property you have. He doesn't own any property. Then they'll put a lien on your tax return. So if he ever files a tax return, he'd owe him that money. And this can go on for decades and sometimes inevitably, like like forever, like for the IRS to actually for him, for his sixty or seventy thousand dollars a year, to say we're 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 going to pursue criminal charges or whatever against you, it's just not going to happen. Um, point being, it you know because people are like questions. Somebody like even the live chat said, "Well, I don't think that he actually made sixty or seventy. He did. They had they have a ten ninety nine. They have you know, they they have financial records. They were paying him that much money. We just don't know where that money was going. Some people mentioned like online gambling." I don't think so because that would require you to have the money in a bank account to be able to link t- to an online gambling site to put it on. I th- so people have brought up like did he have this is a large amount of cash somewhere? I think it's possible that they had that he had cash somewhere. I don't know. We there's some more interviews and stuff that I, that I'm trying to figure out how to get out here, but it sounds like there are more people than just Tiffany who think that John had a very controlling relationship over Vicky. So I don't know what that situation looked like, but it sure seems to me that John was making a lot, that he was bringing home a lot of cash and we don't know where that cash was going. Yeah. I mean, if it's not a check getting written out to credit card and they're calling because, I mean, I get, I get, we, we don't know that that's what those calls were. That was Tiffany's suspicion, which I thought seemed credible. Um, yeah. And, and for folks who, you know, I just want to say quickly, because I see stuff happening in the chat, like I want to make clear that I don't find Tiffany incredible. I don't I don't find her sketchy. I don't feel that way about her at all. Everything that she says, I think, comes from a place of working with the information that she had with the time. Um, I think it's entirely possible for everyone who was interviewed in 2018 that time has passed and things affect your memories and um mm-hmm. maybe her memory is cl- crystal clear and it was super weird her conversation with robert was super weird and it just didn't come up um yeah. for me i just don't i just don't know what to do with that yet so that's all I'm, that's that's all i'm saying about that yeah i mean i th- my guess is probably it was an awkward weird conversation and that was the end of it. And then years later he gets arrested and now it, it's, it's turned into more than that, which is still, by the way, nothing in that conversation was like indicating that Robert killed her. Right. You know what I mean? Like even if, even if what she said is true and it was, she's a hundred percent remembering it perfectly correct that he was just like, Oh, well I didn't know whatever that doesn't, that doesn't make him a murderer. You know, I'm not trying to use that as a, as like a, a free pass for Robert from the crime. It's not evidence of anything, yeah. but I just it just doesn't it doesn't track with the 12 years that built up to that. It doesn't track with what Brandon said. Right. Um, Chandler had sort of asked, you know, following up on the conversation we had last week about p- potential medical issues, uh, knowing that obviously HIPAA protects records and things like that. Um, but you know, was again as everyone's trying to figure out where the money was going. Um, was wondering, like, is that could there be something medical that we don't know? 
not just for the purpose of like understanding Vicky and kind of what was happening with her, Mm -hmm. but also a question of where money could be going. Like, could money have been going out to pay medical bills? And we just wouldn't know that because of HIPAA or. I guess. Yeah, I guess it's possible if the police never went down that route. We never see. We don't see anything from the family, the, the daughters, Rob, anybody indicating that anybody had any medical issue. In fact, what Tiffany says is that she wouldn't go to the doctor. Um, so yeah, I mean, anything's possible, but there's certainly, we don't have anything to indicate that that was the case. Yeah. Um, that takes us into, again, just, you know, wondering about these other interviews as Tiffany's talking about, you know, they went, they all went to the police station, they were interviewed, you know, her grandpa, the aunts, um, Caroline also wants to know the same thing. Like, do we have, do we have information that we can apply from those those resources as well yeah there i mean there's not a lot there we do have so she mentioned um tiffany mentioned the friend janice that um that her mom had been in contact with recently there is an interview with janice but it was like at the crime scene the day of like on on the 18th it's a real short like like seven minute interview is all all that is and we find out from janice that she hadn't talked to becky and or excuse me hadn't talked to vicky in years like it had been a long time they didn't really have you know, she didn't like John. She didn't like Ron. And they hadn't talked for a long time. Hmm. OK, well, I know we are hopefully looking forward to some more Ron information next week. Um, there's a lot happening in the chat. I don't think we have time to get to it all because um, it's sort of its own thing. If you want to find out what that's all about, feel free to join us for the YouTube chat. Uh, that is very easy to do. You just, um, you know. Find out, like, join the Facebook page and, and then also go on YouTube. We try to stream at 9 Pacific every Wednesday. When that changes, we announce it beforehand on the Facebook page. It's a very active, uh, busy world in the YouTube chat. And yeah. uh, if you want to be a part of it, you can. Yep. Noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific time every Wednesday. Uh, if you subscribe to the Truth and Justice uh, YouTube channel. And if you hit the little subscriber notification bell, then it will should let you know. When we go live um, and yeah, I'll just, there's in the, in the chat, the last thing we'll talk about before we close things out is people are asking, like, do we know that Tiffany actually called Robert and why would she call Robert? Um, yes, we do know that she called him because it is mm-hmm. in the phone record. She called him on the 21st. Right. The why is also very simple because she said she talked to Javier on the 20th. Um, it, it, we, it was, it was after um, when, so Jacob was interviewed and we hear him actually talking to Drew in the hallway during that interview. Mm-hmm. Um, but they all talked that she has the dates kind of mixed up, but it was, they talked, she talked to Javier. And then, so the next day, then she called Robert. That's why she called Robert. Um, so that did happen. And that is the why make sure you stay tuned to listen to the promo for the, um, the trailer for the new season of true crime bullshit after the credits tune in on Sunday where we will be, um, I think it's been officially decided, which which actually lowers my blood pressure a little because I've been trying oh, to good. figure out what to do uh, <laughs> uh, this this week. So, it, yeah, we will hear from uh, Ron Friedley, Becky's dad, this Sunday. Make sure you tune in. Thank you all for joining us on the YouTube. Thank you very much to all of our patrons uh, for all of your support and for uh, joining us in the, uh, in the hour pre-show. And with all that, thanks, Zach. Thank you. Zach, don't let Bob make you clean up that water. I want you to promise that you're not going to get involved in his mess for even a second. I'll try not to. Okay. All right. No more from Janet. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye.
NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink, and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by me, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. regular laugh. <laughs> Whew. Good times. The song makes me want to drink beer and smiles. You know Kickboxer came out in 1989? It's one of my favorite <clears throat> movies of all time. That didn't really fit there. <laughs> I want an Ahoy shirt. I want a Team Zach. I want a Team Zach Ahoy shirt. Am I not at a high enough level? <laughs> uh, we start the show. We start the show, right? Great. Yes. Why am I so red? Why am I so red? I'm wearing a red shirt. I feel like I look red. No. But you're red too. We look very red in here. I look I just look yellow. You look normal, but I look yellow, so you think you look red. You know what color neither of us are? Celadon. Celadon. Which what what color is Celadon, Zach? I don't know. You have to look it up. Bob is blue. I look blue. Oh yeah. I feel like I look red. And who was right? Yeah. <laughs> <Why did you> <laughs> <laughs> hmm. 
Ooh, I need to. I wish I wasn't dyslexic. I can read faster. I, I feel like that would offend somebody. So that's the right answer. That's the right answer. All right. It is 5 a.m. on Friday, October 7th. I am on my way to the airport to fly out to Washington State for a week-long sonar and ROV search at Lake Crescent with Gene and Sandy Ralston. It's been nine years since I started looking into the enigmatic and meticulous serial killer Israel Keys. Based on the files we've received, I think we can fairly rule out two victims. Based on files and work Kaz and I have done, I think there are three victims that uh, we should definitely take a closer look at. And in those nine years, I've read over 10,000 pages of documentation, listened to over 40 hours of interviews, interviewed forensic experts, former FBI agents, potential witnesses, and people who knew Keys. Why don't you tell me about Cammie? She was my sidekick. I think at 18, I was, or just after 18, I moved in with my grandma, which she lived with our grandma. I was driving, I worked, she was in school, but she would always go anywhere with me. I've traveled tens of thousands of miles to almost everywhere Keys had ever been. And now, going into its sixth season, True Crime Bullshit has more new leads and more new information than ever. He was not allowed to take any evidence from the FBI, but he was allowed to go watch videos, videos that we don't have access to, and he took copious notes on them. Oh. And we are getting closer and closer to understanding and exposing the crimes of Israel Keys. And then just his disappearance date is the exact disappearance date of Alexis Patterson. Which his name is 45. Interesting. True Crime Bullshit returns for its sixth season on October 27th. Subscribe and listen anywhere you get your podcasts. And check out truecrimebullshit.com for timelines, videos, and more. That's what a real body would look like. Okay. So if you take away take away the legs. It's not dissimilar. Take away some arms. Yeah. It's it's unusual to find woody debris that's forked. Mm-hmm. See any trees around here that no. fork? No. With the ends of the two quote unquote leg like objects, the approximate same length? Yeah, I mean nothing of that size, no. 